We have seen them by your spirit. Lord, speak to us now so that we may see Jesus clearly. It's in his name we pray. Amen. What do you really need? For most of us, I think that's probably an interesting question to consider. Some of you who are more pious than all of the rest of us, you're going to get right to the heart of the matter, and you're going to get to those things that we really do need, right? Things like water and shelter and food, companionship. But, but for the rest of us who are a little less sanctified, our list is going to be a little bit longer, and it's going to contain some things that are probably a little less essential, right? Personally, for me, I understand that I need water, understand that I need food, but I also think that I need unsweet tea. Uh, Renee asks me every week, what do you need from the grocery store? And my one answer always is unsweet tea. Give me tea. I think I need my chair, my recliner. I come home and my kids are sitting and I say, hey, you got to get out of here. That's my chair, right? I think I need that. And of course, on a more serious note, I think I need a certain lifestyle, I think I need a certain income, I think I need certain uh, uh, perks, maybe, that that we've all gotten used to that make our lives a lot easier. Our phones, our our internet, our refrigerator. So Renee and I, our refrigerator went out a couple weeks ago, and you don't realize how badly you need a refrigerator until things start stinking, until things are are not good anymore. Then you realize, hey, I really need this refrigerator. And so for me, and I'm sure it is for y'all too, the list of what I claim to need, it it could really go on for a while. In a world where everything is so accessible, where we are all so comfortable, the the line between what is essential and non-essential, it gets kind of blurry, right? It's hard to really tell the difference between the two sometimes. And so the question, what do we really need, it becomes hard to answer. Well, as, as we continue on here in our study of Luke, we have found up until this point, and we're going to continue to see throughout this study, that, that people come to Jesus for a lot of different reasons. Some of them just show up to, to see the show, right? The crowds have gathered. Luke has told us that over and over again. The crowds have continued to grow. And they're just there to see what Jesus can do. They're there to see miracles. They're there, they're there to see him do something amazing. And some are there, like the Pharisees and the scribes, they're there to, to kind of dispute him, right? They're there to catch him in a lie. And then still others, the ones that, that we see the most, they're there because they have a great need. Sometimes that need is, is a demon. Sometimes that need is they're sick. Sometimes they're blind. Whatever it is, they're there because they have something that they hope Jesus can fix. They have something that they hope Jesus can take away from them. And the amazing thing is, is that over and over again, we see Jesus do that, right? Over and over again, he is kind and compassionate and merciful to heal, to give sight, to to cast out demons, to make people in their earthly lives well and whole. It's an amazing thing we see him do. It's a compassion that he does not have to give. But, but in our passage today, what I want you to see and what we're reminded of is, is those earthly things that he cares for. That's not all he cares for. 
And honestly, as we've seen over and over again, that's not primarily what he cares for. Instead, what we see today, what we see in these two stories, is that Jesus has come to get to the heart of what we really need. He knows what we think we need. He knows that long list that I could stand up here and give you for the next 35 minutes. But what he also knows is what I really need. And he knows that about you too. And he knows that about these men in this story. And so, as we move through this this morning, I want you to ask that question. Ask it over and over again. What do I really need? See yourself in these men. See your heart in these men. And ask yourself, what is it that I have shown up here today to receive from Jesus, because he's going to show us exactly what it is that he has come to give us, okay? Now, it's, it's going to be a challenge to move through these two stories together in a way that is coherent and in a way that is timely. So I'm going to try my best. So let's get right to it. Uh, let's see here what it means to, to really need and what it is that we really need. First, notice in these passages a desperate need desperate need. You see it first in this story of the leper. Now, I think most of you probably understand by this point that 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 term leprosy in this time, it kind of encompassed a whole range of diseases. On the one end, you had like eczema, maybe something that was curable, fairly treatable. And then on the other hand, you had what we call today leprosy, Hansen's disease, where limbs would, would be lost it was a terrible, horrible disease, and it seems that, that that's what this man most likely had. The text in verse 12 there says that he came and he was full of leprosy. This man was in terrible, terrible shape. Now again, I think you also understand what that meant for him personally, what leprosy meant. It was not just a diagnosis, though it was that. It was not just a disease, but in every way... It was a sentence. It was a sentence on his life. It was a disease that took everything away from those who had it. Because they were unclean physically, they had to live outside of the city. Because they were unclean physically, they had to walk down the streets and yell out, unclean, so that no one would get within so many feet of them. They lost their families, they lost their homes, they lost their jobs, they lost everything. But it wasn't just those, those outward physical things that they lost. They also lost their religious rights. They were also unclean religiously, right? Now all of you, if you've ever been through a hard time in your life, you know how important your faith is to you. Now it's important all the time, but... When you are in the midst of loss, when you are sick, when you are hurting, how important is your faith to you in that moment? So many of you have said to me, that's the only thing that has gotten me through. I don't know how people survive without it. Now, I want you to think about this man. His religious rights are gone. He can't go to the temple, he can't go into God's presence, he can't bring the sacrifices. He can't come before the high priest. Everything that makes him Jewish, everything that makes him religiously clean, is gone. He can't have it. 
And so this man, this leprosy, it has taken everything from him. He has nothing, nothing at all to show. He's outside the city. He has no friends, no family. Everything is gone. That's a desperate need. Now, you see the same thing more quickly in that story of the paralytic, right, in verse 18. You remember his friends bring him, and that's the only way he can get there. And now we, you know, we live in a time where we can do amazing things with spinal cord injuries, where people can be put back together seemingly, and even if they can't, the technology is such that, that they can continue to get around, right, that we, wheelchairs, different things. They can still somewhat take care of themselves. But it's obvious here that, that that's not the case in the first century. This man cannot take care of himself in any way. He is as helpless as he can be. Somebody's got to care for him. Somebody's got to feed him. And these men come and they pick him up and they carry him to go try to find some answer. And so in both of these men, what we have is desperation. A desperation that has probably gave way to just resolution, resignation. This is my lot in life. There's not anything I can do about it. And so death is the only thing that awaits them. Who can heal the body of a leper? Who can heal the broken spine, the broken legs of a paralytic? The answer, seemingly, is nobody. And so they're in despair. That is until, of course, they hear about this prophet this healer, this man who claimed to be the Messiah, Jesus. Now, I want you to notice that their desperate need, it's made even more evident in the lengths that they are willing to go to to get to Jesus. You've got to see how far they're willing to go to get to this man. Again, that leper, he is an outcast in every sense of the word. He breaks every social norm to get into the city that day. Just, just passing the gates, he has broken every social norm. But then, to get within arm's length of a man who is a religious figure, to get into arm's length of a man who is claiming to be the Messiah, this is something that, that he could not possibly do. But he's desperate. He's desperate. This is the only answer he has. Remember, remember two weeks ago when we saw that story of Peter. And remember, Jesus does this great miracle. And remember how Peter reacts? He says, Lord, you've got to get away from me. You are holy and I am not. You've got to go. Now, transpose that forward to this man. He is unclean in every sense of the word. Peter knew he didn't have a right to be before him. But this man really has no right to be before Jesus. But he comes because he's desperate. There's nowhere else he can go other than this man. He's the only one that has any answers for him. Again, with the paralytic. And I've told y'all before, I love that story. It just seems like something that we would do at MVP camp, or it seems like something that somebody would do from Mississippi, that they would cut out a hole in the roof, and that they would drop a man right down in front of the, the teacher. That's just an amazing thing. But I can't imagine that that was any more socially acceptable then than it is now. And so they're breaking the rules, right? They're cutting a hole in somebody's roof to drop this man down before Jesus. Their desperate situation is seen in the desperate measures they take to get to him. Now, hold all of that in your mind. Keep all of that with you, okay? Because we're going to come back to it. It's really important. 
But secondly, I want you to notice here, not only do we see a desperate need, but we also see kind compassion. We sang that in that first hymn this morning, kind compassion. And you see it in the story of the leper. He comes to Jesus, he bows before him, and I want you to notice that this wonderful picture of the posture, the words of faith that he gives. He bows and he has nothing to bring, does he? He knows it. He doesn't, he doesn't try to bring his merits. He doesn't try to bring his works. He has none. We've already established that, right? He's unclean. He has nothing to bring. He bows before Jesus. And notice those words. He understands that Jesus is able. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can. He knows he can do it. That's faith. The question is, are you willing? Will he do it? Friends, that's, that's faith. That's coming to Jesus saying, Lord, we know what you can do, but your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Lord, thy will, not mine. You do what's right. But notice what Jesus does there. Those words that he gives to him in verse 13. I will. I will be clean. Friends, I don't know that we can measure what those words must have meant to that man. Can you imagine the life that he's lived, what he has been through for, for however many years, for Jesus to say to him, I will be clean. Those are incredible words. Incredible words. And if that, is all, if that had been all that Jesus had done, it would have been enough, right? We've seen already that the authority he has, the power he has. But that's not all he does, is it? Notice there at the beginning of verse 13, it says that he reaches out and he touches him. Now we just came through COVID, right? I want you to think back to, to those months where we didn't really know what was going on, but we just knew we couldn't be around anybody, we couldn't touch anybody, we didn't know what was happening. How long did it take you to long to hug somebody? How long did it take you to, to want to shake somebody's hand? Not very long, did it? So many of you have said that to me. I just want to hug somebody. I just want to touch somebody. We need that, don't we? Now imagine years of that. Imagine it day after day after day. Not being able to hug your kids. Not being able to hug your family. Not being able to touch anyone. That's what this man had lived. Nobody wanted to get close to him, and he knew he couldn't get close to anybody else. There in verse 13, in his kind compassion, not because he had to, but in his compassion, Jesus reaches out and he touches this man. Again, we said those words had to have been moving. But this, this is, this is almost as amazing as the words themselves. That a Jewish man would reach out and touch a leper. That somebody who had claimed to be what Jesus had claimed to be. That he would reach out and touch someone that is unclean. Again, it's really beyond what we can comprehend. While it is a kind compassion, there's something else going on here, right? 
What normally would happen if somebody touched someone unclean? They would become unclean, right? It passed along. Uh, y'all kids play on the playground cooties or something like that, right? I don't know. Uh, there's, what's the um, Diary of a Wimpy Kid into the cheese touch, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about back there. Cheese, I heard yeah up there. Y'all know. Well, this is like the cheese touch, right? But it's worse. To touch someone who is unclean meant that now you were unclean. Now you had to go through all the ceremonies. Now you had to go make all the sacrifices. Now you had to pray like crazy that you didn't get leprosy. What happens to Jesus? Does he become unclean? Oh, oh. The unclean becomes clean, and the clean who is Jesus, he stays clean. He does what the law, what the ceremonies, what the priest could never do. He takes the uncleanness of this man and he makes him clean again. Think about the high priest in Hebrews. We just came through that not too long ago. Think about all the ceremonies that man had to go through to go into the presence of God. He had to be clean. The people had to be clean and do all of these things. Jesus, he has to do none of that. In his touch, in his words, he is able to make what is unpure holy again. He's able to make this man clean. Friends, what compassion, what kindness that Jesus shows us here. Now look, if that was all we had, if that was all the story was, that Jesus was kind and compassionate, that he healed a leper, that somehow he did it without becoming unclean himself, that'd be a story worth telling. That'd be a story worth, worth thinking about. But I want, what I want you to see here is as we move forward, it's not the most amazing thing that happens in these two sets of stories today. It is amazing and it is so good. But it's not the best thing that happens. The best thing happens thirdly in this story of the paralytic. We've seen desperate need. We've seen kind, compassion, and then thirdly and finally, I want you to see extravagant grace. Extravagant grace. Those friends, they lower this man down before Jesus, and it's a grace that he simply didn't say, you know what, I'm out of here. We're not going to do this. Y'all leave. You can't can't lower this man down on me in this way. But you remember what Jesus says? He looks at him. He says, man, your sins forgiven you your sins are forgiven now immediately there's an uproar right immediately everybody is is they're they're trying to figure out what's going on the the scribes and the pharisees they know their bible so they know isaiah 43 25 that says i am he who blots out sins your transgressions for my own sake i will not remember your sins they know daniel 9 9 that says Forgiveness belongs to the Lord. They know Psalm 51 that says, Against you and you only have I sinned. God is the only one who can really forgive, who can really forgive lastingly. And so when they hear Jesus say, Your sins are forgiven, they understand that he's calling himself God. This is a claim to divinity. When our Jehovah's Witnesses friends come to us and they say, where does it say that Jesus is God? Turn to this passage. Because he's saying it loud and clear. 
I am God. I am He who can forgive sins. I, you know, a couple weeks ago I said it was a mic drop moment when that Isaiah, when he read from Isaiah and he said, I'm He, this, this is fulfilled. Well, we got one of those again today. He's doing it again. But everybody's in an uproar. Look at verse 22. Everybody is, is, is crazy. And he says, hey, I, I know what you're thinking. And so what's, what's harder to do? Is it harder for me to say to you your sins are forgiven? Or is it harder for me to say, get up and walk? Well, from an earthly perspective, for, with our eyes, it's harder to say, get up and walk, right? I can come to you and say, hey, you're forgiven. But, but you don't know my heart, do you? You don't know if I really do forgive you. You don't know if you really are forgiven. But if I have to say to you, hey, uh, that broken arm is healed now, there's going to have to be some sign of it, right? Well, Jesus knows that. And so to show his power, to show his power to forgive, his power to heal, he looks at the man and he says, get up, take your bed and go home. Doing that, he displays both his power over the body and, more importantly, his power over the soul. Jesus is God. He has the power to forgive sins. Now, go back with me just for a second because I don't think the Pharisees and the scribes were the only ones confused that day. Think about those men who brought, brought their friend, who lowered him down through the roof. What do you think they were thinking when Jesus said to him, hey, your sins are forgiven. That's nice, but that's not what they showed up for, was it? That's not what they came to get from Jesus. They wanted their friend to be healed. They thought his greatest need was his paralysis. And so you've got to imagine, they're all looking at each other going, well, this was not really what we expected. This was not really what we wanted to get from Christ. What did we say earlier? What does Jesus know? He doesn't just simply know what we need physically, though he knows that, but he knows our bigger, our greater need. This is going to be cheesy, but he knows that we are paralytic, that we have a paralysis not simply of our bodies, but we have paralysis of our souls, right? That we are lepers, not physically, but we are lepers inwardly. He knows that our greatest need is forgiveness. And so he has come to do that, to seek and to save the lost. Friends, as we try to bring this to a close, we begin with a question. What do you really need? And I imagine in a crowd this size, just like in Jesus' day, that people have shown up here for a lot of different reasons. Some of you may have shown up just to see the show. I don't know how good of a show it is in a Presbyterian church, but you've shown up for the show. Some of you have shown up to, to debate, to, to see what Jesus is all about, to try to dispute him, to just, just say, no, that's not really real. And some of you, some of you have shown up because you're needy. You have a lot of needs. You're looking for healing, for friendship, for answers to life's big questions. And friends, let me tell you, you've come to the right place. Because Jesus can answer all of those things. But that's not primarily what he's come to do. Primarily what he has come to do is fix our biggest need. He has come to give us forgiveness. Lasting forgiveness. To make us clean and holy. Righteous before God. 
truth is, is we are that leper in the first story. If you turn to Isaiah, turn to Isaiah chapter 1, you remember as he is speaking about the people, he says, from the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. That's a picture of leprosy. He says, that's what you are. It's what God's word says to us. Apart from Christ, we have open wounds. Youth, y'all did Ephesians chapter 2 today, right? What does Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 say? We are what in our sins and trespasses? Dead. Dead. How much can a dead person do for themselves? Nothing. Not a thing, right? No more than this leper could do for himself. All of our good works, all of our merits, they are simply filthy rags. We are outside the city. We have lost everything, our identity, the things that make us human. We have lost them to sin. So what do we do? The answer is there in that story of the leper, right? In the story of the paralytic, whatever it takes, however we can, we come to the only one who can heal us. We come to Jesus, breaking social norms, telling our friends, I don't really care what you say, i got to go see this man. i got to go see Jesus. We break every norm we can to get to him. We come in our sin and in our filth, and we say, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me whole. And guess what? <laughs> the joy of the gospel is, is that when we come that way, just like he looked at that leper, he looks at us and he says, I'm willing. Be clean. Be clean. Because those words are for you today. They're for me. If we're resting in Christ, that's what he has said to every single one of us. And I want to ask the question, how does he do it? How does he make us clean? Because we have a picture of it. It's a beautiful picture. In verses 12 through 16, again, that, that story of the leper. You remember after he heals him. He says, go to the priest and tell him what you've done. Make the proper sacrifices. Follow the law of Moses. And in Mark's gospel, he says, but don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody what I've done. Now, look, we give that man a hard time, but let's be honest. If Jesus has really done that for him, we're going to tell everybody. We're going to tell everybody. And that's what he does. He goes and he tells everybody. But the results of that are found there in verse 16. The story begins and the leper is outside the city, right? Jesus is inside. By verse 16, where's the leper? He's healed. He's with his family. He's inside the city. And where's Jesus? He's in desolate places. He's outside. What belonged to the leper now belongs to Jesus. And what belongs to Jesus now belongs to the leper. Friends, that's the gospel. We are all outside. Jesus says, I will make you whole. And he does it by taking on our need. He does it by taking on our sin. By going outside the city where we belong, hanging on a cross, a cursed tree, and dying in our place. And so I don't know what you came here today for. But friends, what the gospel has to offer you, something that you desperately need, 
Something that I desperately need. And this is the only place that you can find it. Lasting, true forgiveness. And he does it by taking our place. He does it by dying for you. Giving you his perfect righteousness. A righteousness that will never fade. That will never fail. And so I ask, one last time. What is your greatest need? Do you see your sin today? Do you see your failures? Are you tired of running, of being unsatisfied with all the answers that the world has to offer you? Well, if so, I invite you, come to Jesus. Bow before him and find with him more than you can possibly imagine. Find with him satisfaction for your greatest need. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider these stories... Lord, what, a, what an amazing picture it is for us of who we are before you. Those who are sick, those who have those, those open wounds, sin has ravaged us. It has tainted every area of our lives. No, we are not as bad as we could possibly be, but that's only by your grace. But Lord, all of our lives have been tainted by sin. And so we are in desperate need, in desperate need of forgiveness. And Lord, so often, living in the world that we do, it's hard for us to see that. It's hard for us to come to terms with the fact that we are desperate and needy. Lord, I would pray today that, that you would show us that need. Show us how desperate it is. May we, may we fall and tremble at the reality of who we are. Lord, at the same time, show us Jesus. Show us the one who is willing, who can make us whole and clean, the one who can make us pure to stand before your very throne of grace. And Father, I pray as we see that, that we would come in all of our desperation, that we would fall before him, that we would cry out, Lord, if you are willing, and find one who is willing, one who can cleanse, one who does cleanse, one who satisfies for all of eternity. Lord, we pray these things in the name of our Savior. Amen.